Welcome listeners to episode eight of the podcast. This episode is called Statues, Statutes, Statures, and Statistics. That's some name, Jay. How long did that take you to come up with, Riz? You know, they just pop into my head. Sometimes there has to be an element of uh, of comedy in there for me. We got to keep it lighthearted every once in a while, Jay. This is a very heavy time. Yeah, it's true. I, I like it, and I definitely can't say it five times fast, so we're going to leave it at the once. So welcome to the podcast, everyone. Woo! Busy. <laughs> got a lot to get to on this one. This is going to be a long one. Uh, some, some of it's going to be fun. Some of it's going to be very serious. And speaking of serious, we have an Honest Abe's housekeeping hangout to get into with my bud Riz. So here we go, Honest Abe's. When he growed up this tiny babe, folks all called him Honest Abe. Abraham, Abraham. Honest Abe's housekeeping hangouts. Here we go. Okay, it's the Riz here. As I said last week, my hunch is that I would take most of the blowback from listeners. Uh, and I think that's I think that that's especially true because I don't necessarily fall directly in line with the mainstream thought of today's left. Whereas Jay, you know, being sort of a Trump hating Republican gets a certain level of respect from the left. It's uh, if you listen to enough right wing commentators, they commonly call it strange new respect in quotes. It's sort of like they'll talk about Mitt Romney, how the left hated Mitt Romney. And all of a sudden when he started doing when he when he was anti-Trump, he got the strange new respect. So being the fact that Jay is on the right, he's expected to be a Republican. But the fact that he is anti-Trump gives him a, a certain level of strange respect from the left. Whereas me, because I am a representative of the left, when I disappoint a left winger with my rhetoric or lack thereof, I'm going to get a lot of the, the fallback from that. So with that said, the backlash that I received was not in regard to our main episode last week, which was very well received, Jay. Did you know that? Um, I have heard from a great many people and they really enjoyed the episode. So. so it was not from the episode itself, but rather in regard to my performance or lack thereof during the interview with Charlie and Lisa Spies. There was some listener frustration, uh, not over what I said, but what I didn't say. I counted this morning. I have now received 13 messages. Is it all hate mail? All hate mail, yeah. And I am going to read the one that I think summed up the uh, listener rage, if you will, the best. Uh, they were all sort of, all 13 messages were sort of variations of this, but this one I thought was worded the best. Rob. Got a chance to finally listen to the interview you guys did with Charlie and Lisa Spees. I must tell you that it was your first podcast that I was truly disappointed in. Especially you, Rob. All you did was lob softball questions of these two diehard Trump supporters. The questions were not only easy for them to hit, but much of the discussion was somewhat flippant. I really don't care what their favorite bars are. I believe you missed an opportunity to really challenge these two. Where were the questions about how Trump handled the COVID crisis? What about the racial tensions in America and his proclivity towards stoking racial tensions? What about how he handled the demonstrators in D.C. and the photo stunt he pulled? What about this scandal about how Trump has done nothing in response to Putin's plot to pay the Taliban to kill U.S. soldiers? You missed all of that. Very disappointing. If I was a casual listener to this podcast and heard this BS, I would have definitely turned it off immediately. 
Yikes. So like I said, I got 13 messages, basically all variations of that. So I want to clear the air a little bit. So first off, nobody is going to get me to subscribe to the line of thought that everyone who supports Trump is a bad person. Okay, I'm not going to do that. I'm never going to go along with that point of view. In my profession, uh, in my personal life, I've had a good a chance to travel a lot. I, I go to a lot of industry conferences all over the country, pre-COVID that is. Haven't done a lot of traveling in the last few months. Over the course of several years, I've gotten a chance to meet a lot of people from all over the country. And I've met some of the kindest, most wonderful, kind-hearted human beings I've ever met in my life, especially in my profession. Just everyone seems to be very, very nice. Sometimes I'll come home and I'll get on Facebook and I'll see there's a Facebook request from somebody I met at one of these conventions and I'll click on their profile and I'll realize that they're huge Trump supporters. And while I disagree with them and think they're wrong about Trump, I don't let that affect my original impression of them. Basically, some of the nicest people I've met in my life are Trump supporters. I think that if we allow the Trump thing to shut everything else down, you miss opportunities to know, as you said, great, some great people. You, you miss the opportunity to have conversations around any other issue, I mean, including things that are not political. So it's, it's opportunities missed to make a human connection. And I think that that is not the way we should be uh, living in society. Yes. Now, secondly, this podcast was Justin's brainchild. He approached me and was sort of like, dude, let's do a political podcast. And I was like, huh, sounds interesting. Yeah, let's try it. Let's see where it goes, right? So the idea was that Justin was this moderate Republican, I'm this moderate Democrat, and we would do this centrist down the middle podcast where we would be all center and everyone would be like, oh, it's common sense centerism. That's great. What we sort of realized just even a few episodes in was that one person's center is another person's left field. So I have gotten, and vice versa, by the way. So, so I have gotten messages from some of my left wing friends, legitimately, like several of them at this point, like, dude, uh, I love you, but this is a right-wing podcast. I mean, you might as well be listening to Rush Limbaugh. The two of you are right-wingers. And Jay, yeah. similarly, <laughs> has gotten messages from some of his right-wing friends and family members who are like, uh, just a couple of leftists talking about shit I don't know about. Yeah, didn't know you were a liberal. <laughs> right, exactly. So, you know, Justin and I have sort of laughed about that and been like, must mean we're doing something right. But the, the term centrism is so subjective in this day and age, in the Trump era especially, it is, you know, again, one person centers another person's left field. So what we sort of decided instead, it was rather than attempting to find this elusive center, we would more so give everyone a voice and then we would discuss it. We have we have a list of guests that we want to have on this show, and some of them are very controversial. Short of being, you know, full on Nazis, I will treat everyone with respect when they come on the show. No matter what their point of view is, I will treat them with respect. But with that said, I said on the first episode, I believe, that if you are willing to come on this show and voice your opinions, you have to be brave enough to be challenged. And I do recognize that I failed to challenge the guests that we had on the show last week. And that therefore, in the eyes of those who sort of see me as a representative of the left on this podcast, they were disappointed and probably screaming at their headphones. I get that, okay? And for that, I do apologize. I want to offer just one other explanation for why. Charlie and Lisa Spies, who I think are great people, they are family friends of Justin's. They also, uh, Lisa Spies also introduced Justin to his wife. So it's very close to home. And even though I'm a 40-year-old adult, 
there is still enough nice Jewish boy in me where I feel uncomfortable getting into a heated debate with my good friends, family friends. You know, it's just, it's just, it feels yucky to me. That's the best way I could describe it. So, and that's not necessarily an excuse, but it is sort of an explanation for why I didn't push back. The other reason is that the way our interviews are often formatted, it's sometimes hard to, there's a difference between an interview and a debate. Most of the guests we've had on have been sort of an interview format. There are going to be true debates that we have on the show, but I'm not sure last week was the right format for that. But again, I apologize. I understand the pushback and I'm going to try to do better. Yeah, look, the, the bottom line is this isn't CNN. It's not Fox. We said that very early on. We're not going to be sitting here firing missiles off at either side, either side. We're going to have people on from the right and they're going to get to speak their piece. We're going to have people on from the left and they're going to get to speak their piece. They're going to give us their platforms and then Riz and I will disseminate that information later. We will have debates on this show but they will be set up as debates, not as, as interviews. I mean, we're not in the business of gotcha journalism. We also said that very early on. So if you want uh, interviews where people are putting what some might say inappropriate pressure and being rude and interrupting and all of those things that happen on every other network, please go watch every other network. Additionally, we want to have some fun on this podcast. So we have segments to that end. You can expect that. Right. I, I totally agree. And with all that said, though, I do understand why a listener of the podcast would be frustrated or annoyed if they were listening to that interview, if they were on the left and saying, like, why is the guy who's supposed to be the left winger here not pushing back? So, I, you know, I get it. I get both sides of it here. Listen, it was one interview. Not every episode that we do is going to be a transcendent experience, too. Uh, we've, our episodes have been very well received. But, you know, when you do a weekly show, I mean, for anyone who watches weekly shows, like I watch Bill Maher's uh, real-time show every week on HBO. There are some shows that are just fabulous and sh some that just suck, you know? Can't be all winners. We're going to try to not suck as much as possible, but there is going to be episodes that people don't like as much, you know? And that's, that's totally cool. That's the nature of it. Another thing for, uh, to address in this Honest Abe's Housekeeping Hangouts was uh, a you know, much more mundane issue, the uh, the numbering issue on Apple Podcasts. Jay, why don't you get into that a little? Yeah, so we got some feedback uh, about the numbering system uh, in Apple Podcasts, and so we fixed it. Uh, it's going to be the way we're going to do this now. We are on episode eight now. It will reflect that in the list, and if we have an interview, it's just going to say interview with so-and-so and that's how we're gonna structure this podcast so the interviews a lot of them are going to be separate because we we want to split them out because they're long so they're just going to be in your list as interviews and you'll have the numbers will correspond from now on promise very very good okay let's get into uh, the bulk of the episode here jack let's let's get into statues statutes statures and statistics <laughs> exactly okay and don't hold us to having to uh address each one of those points like if we don't get to statures uh that you know it's a it's a title kind of calm down but <laughs> anyway uh we had said that we did not want this uh, podcast to be a current events podcast we want it to be more about ideology bigger issues broader issues but sometimes there are things that are happening in our society and our news cycle that are so overwhelmingly discussed by everyone. They're just such big issues that 
it would be weird to not bring them up and talk about them. Like with the George Floyd case a few weeks ago, we felt like we had to do a podcast about that. Similarly, uh, if you're watching the news today, if you're a, a consumer of mainstream or right-wing news, you have been hearing a lot about COVID, of course. We're all talking a lot about COVID. And you have been hearing a lot about statues and monuments and the tearing down of those things. And we felt that we needed to get into this topic a little bit. So the first question is, how pervasive is this? Now, to just catch people up a little bit, uh, there is this movement that you're probably, especially if you listen to Fox or any right-wing media outlet, you are probably seeing crazy leftists all over the country tearing down American history left and right, desecrating it. Yeah, they're defacing them too. Defacing them, throwing them into the ocean, you know, in this sort of broad attempt to erase American history, and it's really, really, really bad, right? Okay, so the first question I want to ask is how pervasive is this phenomenon? To get right into that, it's been happening for years, okay? According to Wikipedia, in the three years since Charleston, there have been 31 protests around controversial monuments in the state of Texas alone and 114 nationwide rallies to remove monuments which have taken place somewhere in the country nearly every single weekend. So this has been happening for a long time. This is not new. This has been an ongoing argument for many years, even before Trump, we were talking about this. Okay, the right-wing media has an immensely powerful incentive to make their viewers think this is something new or at least something that has entered the ethos of mainstream leftism. But it's simply not true. This is not a pervasive issue on the left. Even this Mount Rushmore controversy that we're having now, you know, there's this idea that we should tear down Mount Rushmore and they're, you know, that's basically what the president's entire speech the other day was about, which we'll get into later. Fox News is reporting this as if this is new, as if the world literally started spinning at Donald Trump when he was elected. Here's the truth. Generations of indigenous Lakota people have been opposed to Mount Rushmore since its construction. This is according to Nick Tilson, who wrote an article for CNN. He's a citizen of the Oglala, I'm probably botching that, Lakota Nation and founder CEO and president of the NDN Collective, a nonprofit organization supporting indigenous people. Quote, indigenous people and my ancestors fought and died and gave their lives to protect the sacred land and to blow up a monument, a mountain and put the faces of four white men who were colonizers who committed genocide against indigenous people. The fact that we don't as Americans think of that as an absolute outrage is ridiculous, he told CNN in an interview on Wednesday. This has been an ongoing controversy since the 1940s. This is not anything new. I have been uh, aware of the, the controversy over Mount Rushmore for quite some time. Maybe an episode on the Native American problem would be something great because it is not something we're seeing in our news every day, even really at all. And it's something to consider. I don't and I, I haven't since the beginning of the Black Lives Matter com uh, conversation. I have not understood why they have not been a part of this conversation as well. That being said, obviously, this has been going on for a long time. But while it has been happening for years, it was never associated with cancel culture or with vandalism. That's what makes this different. The issues that you mentioned, they, they come from researched and thought out problems. And that's not what this is. This is knee jerking. It's virtue signaling. And it's not thought out or done democratically. You know, start a petition, right, to your congressperson, vote. But going out with a truck and doing this manually without the approval of the institution or the government, that's a criminal act. Absolutely. But I am going to push back on, again, 
the fact that this is something new, uh, I think the media is covering it as something new. And I want to just talk for a second here about the right-wing focus on the culture war right now, because it is my contention and the contention of many on the left, if you listen to any left-wing commentators, they are all saying the same thing, that in the wake of Trump's sinking poll numbers, the greatest health crisis in modern American history, and you know a looming economic crisis that could very well rival the Great Depression, the when the GOP and the right-wing feels cornered, they always, very, very intelligently, revert to the culture war. That is their tactic. It's it's actually a brilliant tactic because the culture war wins them elections. It really does. 2016 was a referendum on our culture. It wasn't about policy. Donald Trump never talked about policy. He talked about the culture. You know, culture war wins them elections. And I want to just say something about the the Fox News sort of echo chamber and the mobilization machine that's behind these culture war issues because I am extremely impressed even as a, as a liberal, with the way that the right plays politics. I've said for a long time, the political savviness of the right is leaps and bounds above the political savviness of the left. The right and the GOP and the right-wing media are basically like the all-star Major League Baseball team, and the left is like Little League. They're not even triple A, because they have this unbelievable way to mobilize behind issues. So as I've said a million times on this show, I listen to a ton of right-wing commentators. I have literally been unbelievably impressed over the last three weeks as I've listened to Ben Shapiro, uh, Michael Knowles, Andrew Clavin, Dennis Prager, uh, all of these guys have basically been doing three weeks straight of statues. Now, that is not a coincidence. This is, I'm not saying the GOP literally sends out a memo to all these people, but I think they do. It, it might, it's almost like a figurative memo. This is the way we're going to win this election. We need to pound this down their throats. Now, I want to say there's probably right-wingers listening right now, people on the right who are probably saying, well, the left has that in their media, in the mainstream media. But I need to point out the difference because there is a, there's a distinction to be made here. Yes, if you watch, if you're if you're of the right and you watch the mainstream media, you are probably convinced they are all a bunch of liberals. But they do project themselves as being fair and impartial journalists. So when you're watching even Don Lemon at night, he doesn't actually come out for a particular candidate on the right. He doesn't say you should vote for Joe Biden. He might talk crap about Donald Trump, but he doesn't say that. Fox News, on the other hand, as being a overtly right-wing conservative network. They don't only come out in favor of right-wing policies, conservative policies, but they actually endorse right-wing candidates. They are an actual extension of the GOP. Uh, again, a lot of people listening are probably like, yeah, and the mainstream media is an extension of the Democrats, but they don't actually make that known. That's not part of what they, uh, uh, of, of their mission statement. The right-wing media is intended to get GOP members elected and to all sort of mobilize behind one issue. And they're very, very good at that. They're incredibly savvy at that. I mean, I think, you know, if you're talking about CNN specifically, they have always claimed that they're close to center. And I've found that, yeah, while they may not mention a candidate, they do follow the same if you want to talk about the the right getting memos and following the same patterns cnn follows the patterns of 
the mainstream media. You know, if that has a left-leaning bias, then that's the pattern that they're following. It. If you flip the channel to MSNBC or something like that, you're going to find that they're covering the same things. You know, the fact that the news media on the right is not focused enough attention on the virus is definitely a problem. It's the, it's the most important issue facing our country right now today. But as we've stated on this show, cancel culture threatens our freedoms as Americans. It threatens the Constitution. That should be covered as well. Like, how about some balance? You know, the virus is an imminent threat, but cancel culture and tearing down of statues, which is part of what's going on right now, represents a threat that if it isn't stopped now, it'll echo past the effects of the virus. When we ultimately do get over the virus, we're going to still have a constitutional issue with vandalism and, and these things happening, no matter how pervasive they are. Both things should be covered. It's not a it's a both end. It's not an either or. I get it. We are going to get into in a, in a few minutes here the actual statues themselves, what should be torn down, what shouldn't be torn down, and the difference. We're also going to get into a little bit more of how the media covers this or or their lack of coverage. I do want to just sidebar for one second and talk about counterculture for a second. because I, And this just sort of hit me when I was listening to some right-wing commentators the other day. Uh, it is easier to get your point across when you're part of the counterculture because you sort of can scream the loudest. Now, if you take the 60s, the 60s were a very conservative time in American history. And the counterculture was the hippie movement, the youthful progressive movement that happened. That was called at that time the counterculture. That counterculture was separate and apart from the sort of general conservative nature of America at that time. Fast forward to today, what was the counterculture in the 60s is now has now been absorbed by sort of the general culture. So you have the media, academia, sports, you know, virtually every corporation from Pepsi to Nike to Amazon, all of Hollywood, the entertainment industry that is of the left, that have been ab absorbed into left-wing culture. And the counterculture now has become conservatism. It's a very interesting thing. Counterculture used to be progressive. Counterculture now is conservatism. And I want to remind people that there's there's no telling when that switch will happen again. These things very well could be cyclical. So, you know, 50 years from now, we might see all these corporations and all the entertainment industry switch back to conservatism. I, that seems crazy to even think about at this moment in time, but it very well could happen. The point of all of this is that when you are a counterculturer, you don't only get the loudest microphone, but you also get sort of, because you're the underdog, you get sort of, a mobilization machine, to use that word for the fourth time. You get this sort of rally to all come together and be on the same side, and that is what makes the political savviness of the right so uh, sort of infectious. Well, you can see it happen in elections. I mean, I think that that speaks to what happened with Hillary, to be honest. I The, the view was that she was going to be so far ahead, the polls showed her so far ahead, the voters didn't go out and vote. The fact that there is an underdog in that race, which is how Trump made himself out to be, more people felt compelled to go out and vote for him. Whereas Hillary, who, you know, has been doing this a long time, she's been in politics forever, it felt like she was the, the easy shoe in. No one went out. And you can see how that could affect something as big as a, as a presidential election. Oh, totally. You know, it's, um, it's just so interesting to me because, uh, again, it's almost like the, Trump has some kind of movement that's that's 
like a, a new age punk rock movement in a way. It's sort of like if you're a Trumper, especially if you're a young Trumper, you're like you're the counterculture. It's just it's just, it's an interesting dynamic and something interesting to talk about. Getting out of the sidebar for a second here, uh, going back to media, we talked about the right wing media. My perception that they have this 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 machine that just is it enables them to jam this stuff down your throat. The mainstream media, on the other hand, has been absolutely failing to cover any of this. And I think this goes back to what we've talked about before, the vendetta they have against Trump, which I think is a very rightfully, I I think it's a good vendetta. I think Trump has done it to himself. And I think he's made their lives so difficult that there is absolutely a vendetta against him. But the idea, they watch right-wing media, they watch Fox, and they say, if Fox is going to cover this, we're not going to cover it at all. And what that does is it validates the conservative narrative of this broader media bias. Never mind the the idea that it's irresponsible to not bring the news to the American people, all of the news, no matter who else is covering it. Right. But this is another both sides-ism, dude, because, you know, Fox News isn't covering COVID. No, no. And that's what I just said. How how about some balance on, on, on either side? There has to be balance, right? Uh, the media's behavior sort of plays into the hands of people who have an innate distrust of them, and we've seen it now in this, in the way they've they've handled this COVID crisis. For instance, with the George Floyd protests and and then the ensuing riots and all of that. I mean, my wife and I were watching the news and just like, did COVID go away? Like they didn't talk about COVID for a good week, week and a half. Never mind the fact that the protesters were out there without masks on. They were not social distanced and there was no commentary on it whatsoever. I was extremely critical of that. Now, I don't think that means that the media has a left-wing agenda. I think it just means that they suck at their job. They are it's very hard for them to walk and chew gum at the same time. And they when an issue as sort of pervasive and toxic as racial injustice comes into the fore, it becomes like this is all we're going to cover. It's 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 a really big deal. And they're not able to do the sort of balance like, well, maybe these people shouldn't be protesting in the street and screaming at the top of their lungs with no mask on. But what that does do is, again, it validates the conservative narrative that the media has an agenda that they are biased, you know, the racial protests come and mysteriously COVID disappears. And then the story fades as we talked about it as it would. And COVID comes back. COVID comes right back. Now, again, you know, I get it. I get it. That is exactly the point. And it ties into everything that we're talking about. The right wing's talking about statues and a little bit about COVID. And the left is talking about COVID and very little about statues. (laughs) You know, and and like you said, the, the... the media has, they've lost sight of the virus when the protest happened. And it was all about the protest, nothing about the virus. It was wall to wall coverage because we were watching that, you know, we were watching TV all the time then because it was local to us. We wanted to make sure nothing was coming through our window. So we had the news on all the time and no one mentioned the virus, not as it related to the protests and not as it related to the rest of the country. So again, I, I beg for balance. I beg for striving to do a better job. We had we had news media and newsmen long ago that that they strove to create a balanced environment where they would cover the news objectively so that the American people could make their own decisions. It's something we strive for here is presenting either side and allowing the listener to decide for themselves how they disseminate that information. And I think it's something that the news media really needs to strive for as well.
Yeah, absolutely. You're not going to hear any argument from me on that side. I, you know, I, if you look at my Facebook profile for years now, I have been extremely critical of the media. I think they're, and again, it's not because I think they have an agenda or that they they are an extension of a political party. I think they just aren't good. They're they're inept. They get things wrong. They they. Uh, move too quickly on a story and then have to retract, which is terrible for the narrative that the media is trying to project that they're a trusted name in news. The bottom line is do better. Now, we are going to get into the actual statue issue, and I'm going to talk about what I think is appropriate and what I don't think is appropriate. But before that, I want to just say also, my wife is pathologically uninvolved in politics she just doesn't care and i'm actually really glad about it because honestly i mean she knows what's going on she gets her news from me and every once in a while she'll sit down and 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 watch but for her from her perspective she has two little kids to raise she has a business to run a business now that she's trying to save uh in the wake of the covid crisis she is so inundated with life everyday life that her opinions on this are sort of like i don't care i don't care what donald trump is tweeting i don't care about these things that aren't affecting my everyday life right now it's just not important to me and frankly Given the time that we're in, again, this incredibly horrible virus and health crisis that we're in the middle of, the 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 amount of people that are dying, what are we up to, 130,000 now or even more uh, in, in the United States, the, it, you know, the economic catastrophe that's looming, my opinion is that I just don't care about this stuff right now. Maybe I will four years from now, but at this very moment, I don't care. I'm trying to keep my family moving. I'm trying to figure out what the hell is going to happen in fall when my kids are supposed to go back to school. How, if they're not going to go back to school, are we going to be, how are we going to be a two-income family if somebody has to stay home and watch the kids? So it's it's just a crazy time, and I find it very inappropriate that given the fact, as what I talked about before, this isn't becoming more widespread, in my view, or from the statistics I've seen, it's not more pervasive than it has been over the last four years. I think it's very inappropriate that now is the time the right wing is jamming this down our throats, shoving it down our throats in an attempt to create this culture war at such a pivotal moment in American history. But Jay, I think I have a feeling you might feel a little differently. So tell us about that. It does matter to me for a number of reasons, but I do think addressing what you just said is important. I don't believe this is the time to be discussing this at all. I even question the timing of the protests. If you want to talk about the fact that statues have been put under a microscope for years and therefore we shouldn't deal with it, well, people of color you know, this has been happening to them with the police yeah. for years. So oh, oh yeah. why bring it up now? We have a virus that is destroying the face of our country. So do I think maybe it was a bad time to be, and I'll probably get skewered for this, but was it a bad time for the protests and for the Black Lives Matter movement to happen? Yes, it was. If we don't have space to talk about statues, we don't have space to talk about Black Lives Matter now. I understand these people are living, statues are not living, but they're both issues that distract us from something that is massive that is going on here that we really should all be focused on. But I do think if we're getting specific about the statues, there are consequences for this long into the future, 
Never mind the fact that these are, you know, a lot of these are beautiful landmarks that were put there as pieces of art. There is a constitutional issue here, especially with how they're being handled. As I said before, there's no democratic process to this. It's let's get our truck, let's throw uh, uh, something around the statue and bring it down. That's vandalism, and it's something that should be dealt with harshly. Yeah. Okay. I, you know, I'm going to. Uh, I, I agree with most of what you said. I, I am still going to push back. I, I, I think that there is a distinction between the Black Lives Matter issue and the statues issue, but we're going to get to that later when we talk about a little bit about statistics, because I think we are, those things are not identical in statistically. That's the best way I could, I could sort of. You mean in, in, in scope and size. In scope, in, in scope and size. Exactly. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for coming in for that. Uh, exactly. And we'll get to that a little bit. But first of all, I want to talk a little bit about these monuments and statues that are being torn down, because First thing I want to say is that most of the Confederate monuments were built in periods of racial conflict. Now, I'm just talking about the Confederate monuments. You know, they were built in periods of racial conflict, such as Jim Crow laws, which were being introduced at the start of the 20th century or during the 50s and 60s civil rights movements. These statues have, have were built to intimidate black people. They were built for that reason, not for preserving history. Okay, a lot of people want to have this revisionist history now. Oh, it's part of our culture. The Confederacy was evil. All of those statues should come down. They should have come down years ago. It's actually a disgrace that they haven't come down. And this is not part of our culture and history that we want to be celebrating. You do not go to Germany and see statues of Hitler because we need to remember, you know, the evils of Hitler. You, you, The Confederate monuments need to come down, always needed to come down. Okay, do you agree with that, Jay? Here's where I draw a distinction. And I have a list I'd like to go through. But the truth is, is that we should be dealing with these one by one. And I have a very good reason for that. There are specific cases, you're going to throw the baby out with the bathwater. There are cases in this list that I have of Confederate soldiers that turned their entire lives around. They renounced slavery. They renounced their part in the Civil War. They became, some of them became American patriotic servicemen. And I think there needs to be room for that empathy. I think if you say, take them all down, it's more cancel culture. I say, if you, if you want to take them one at a time and say, this was an evil man, this statue should come down. There are plenty of those, but there are also plenty of statues that these men, they turned their lives around. They did great things for this country and their city. And I think that that should be taken into consideration when you're talking about taking down these monu monuments, even of Confederate soldiers. Right. Okay. I'm willing to discuss that for sure. Maybe you could educate me on that. I don't know. I, I don't have a lot of uh, firsthand knowledge of every single Confederate statue and, and the meaning of each. All I do know is that a lot of them were erected during Jim Crow to intimidate black people. I mean, they, they, you know, that's, and those, those ones should be taken down. But with, with that said, there is now a new discussion on the left about taking down other statues. Like let's take someone like Columbus, for instance, there was a lot of negative that came along with Columbus, but Columbus brought Western values to the new world. And that has been a net positive for the world. Now, I am going to say something controversial here, Jay, so give me my controversial music. Here it comes. Western values are the best values in the world. I do not think it's racist to say that. I don't think it's bigoted to say that. I have no problem saying that. And if you don't believe that, tell me where you're going to get 
better values and better culture? Is it in the Arab worlds where even in the most liberal countries, if you're homosexual, they murder you? It literally is, they murder you where they give women no rights? In Saudi Arabia, which is considered one of the liberal countries, women just got the right to drive cars, okay? Is it in Asia? Look at what's going on in Hong Kong. Those people who had freedoms are now, those freedoms are gone within the span of a week. Exactly. I want to tell just a quick personal story here. Uh, my wife and I took our, our our second honeymoon in Japan. And Jay and I, if you, if you if you are listeners who know Jay and I, you know that we both love Japan. We're big Japan heads. Absolutely. Um, it's one of the best places to visit in the world. And the reason it was our second honeymoon is because our first honeymoon was in Italy and we almost died from a virus, coincidentally, which is a story for another day. But uh, we, we felt like we had to do our honeymoon over. We went to Japan and had a lovely time. It's just, if you've never been to Japan, put it on your list, please. It The collision of the old world and the new world world is just it, like nothing you've ever seen. It's it's an incredible place to go. But uh, with that said, we were in Tokyo and we had heard about this bar called Bar Ishriohana. I'm probably messing up. I'm probably botching that pronunciation, but it's one of the considered one of the greatest bars in the entire world. It wins awards every single year. It is business only attire. So you have to wear a suit when you go there. Uh, it is just a bar. It's supposed to be the, the greatest cocktails in the world. It literally takes them 20 minutes to make a cocktail. So you sit down, they like check the direction of the wind and they're, you know, it's like they're the mixologists, scientists. They're doing uh, this crazy stuff, right? And we'd heard about this, and our hotel said, "Oh, you could go tonight." So we walked down there, and uh, we literally push open the door, and a guy comes from behind the bar and literally puts his hands on us, pushes us out physically, and says, "No gaijin, no gaijin," and closes the door. And we're like, "What the hell is that? What is gaijin?" We go back to the hotel and we tell him the story. And the guy at the hotel goes, oh, yeah, Gaijin is foreigners. It's a no foreigner night, only Japanese. We ended up going back the next night, which was a, a night where they were allowing, allowing Gaijin in. But I just remember thinking and saying this to my wife, like, I am so proud to be in a country where we don't do that. And that is nothing against Japan. I mean, Japan, again, like I've said, is an incredible place to go. They are a westernized country. They are a relatively liberal country. But we don't do that here. And if you do do that here, you're going to be closed awfully fast. I remember you telling the story, and I forgot, I think, to mention to you that the last time I was in Japan, I experienced the same thing. I went into uh, what was what was recommended to me as an amazing bar. We went in there. It was empty. We were a party of five, all white. And the minute we went in there, I had the same thing happen to me. The owner of the bar came in and he actually put his hands on me as well. And he said, you cannot come in here. You cannot come it's in It's apparently here. A, a very common thing. It, you know, it happens at all restaurants. And they have nights where it's, you have to, if you're not Japanese, you ain't eating there that yeah, night. Let's call it racist yeah. night. Yeah, it is racist. It's completely racist. But for whatever reason, you don't hear people on the left talking about it. You really that, don't. Right? No. Yeah, it, it, it's a very interesting thing. But getting back to Columbus, uh, to, to get off the sidebar for a second here. Columbus, again, brought Western values to the new world. Net positive for the world. It also came with brutality and slavery, and a hundred other terrible things. But American history has been a litany of perfect ideas implemented imperfectly. I wrote this on my on my Instagram. By the way, I have an Instagram now. We'll get to that later. But uh, if, you, if you follow me on Instagram, you, you heard me say this. American history has been nothing but a litany of perfect ideals implemented imperfectly. We have screwed up the founding ideals of this country over and over and over again. But that doesn't mean that we tear down the ideals themselves 
themselves. They are the greatest ideals in the world. Instead, we attempt to continually achieve these ideals. It's a more perfect union. We are striving to be better and better and better. And we can't cancel ourselves. We have to move on and do better and strive to do better. And that's the only way this country will survive on those ideals. It can't be, well, the experiment's over. We messed up. Let's go home. Right, right. And, you know, by the way, if if, if we're on, if we're going to start tearing down statues, we'd also have to, tear, you know, all non-racist statues, non-Confederate statues. We would also have to tear down all the FDR ones because FDR, who was a, was a hero of the Democratic Party and still is to this day, his administration interned 120,000 Japanese Americans in what is today considered one of the most embarrassing periods in American history. Not to mention, turned the ship around with however many Jews on it when they were trying to seek asylum in America. There's a lot of wrongs that FDR did in his administration that we should absolutely, if we're going to tear down the statues, include them in the conversation. Right. And that's why I, I typically hate the slippery slope argument, but this actually is a slippery slope. When it, it goes back to that cancel culture idea that both Jay and I have talked about that we despise. Now, there that does not mean that there aren't, again, societal inequities that need to be addressed. The, the, the big disagreement for me as a liberal is always what the solution is, which is always seems to be nowadays this sort of neo-Marxist socialist ideology where people think that if we were just equal economically, everything will be fine. And it's such a silly thing to me because it's been tried all over the world. It doesn't fix things. Everyone ends up being equally economically miserable, but but it doesn't actually end up making these inequities go away. It's historically failed faster than any other system. Right, right, exactly. The, the question of where do we draw the line when it comes to these statues being torn down. Where we draw the line is we start with the Confederate ones and and then we go from there. That's my opinion. We start with the Confederate ones and we take each one and we and and we we do a detailed description of what the ideals of those statues mean, like Jay and I just did. You know, rather than just saying it's a white person, we're tearing it down. There needs to be committee. There needs to be, and it may move slow for some people, but that's how this country was designed. A democratic process, as you said, uh, what was it, two, two episodes ago, last episode, a democratic process to change the rules. A democratic process should be put in place for this, and let's have a conversation about it. Let's not knee-jerk. I actually put together a list of a handful of monuments that have or are coming down uh, or have been desecrated. And I'd like to just present this as an opportunity to talk about what should and what shouldn't come down and what is coming down and why that's a problem. So as we spoke about, Christopher Columbus memorials in Pittsburgh, Providence, Rhode Island, St. Paul, Boston, St. Louis, Miami, Columbus, Ohio, Richmond, Virginia, Sacramento, California. It's a lot of hate right now for Christopher Columbus, unfortunately. The Emancipation Memorial in Boston and DC celebrating the freeing of the slaves. Those are coming down. George Washington monuments in Baltimore and Chicago. The John Wayne Airport is being renamed in Los Angeles. Now, Union Army memorials has, ha, have even been, been targeted. Like Union Army memorials, like not the Confederacy, the Union Army. Uh, now, let's get into the good stuff. We got Major General Philip Schuyler, I believe is how you pronounce his name. He fought in the, in the Continental Army for our freedom from Great Britain. Taking that down for some reason. Lawrence Sullivan Ross, who after he did fight for the Confederacy, he went on to create peace during a time of racial tension during the Jaybird Woodpecker War. He went on to contribute greatly in service to the state of Texas. There's John B. Castleman, who, again, fought for the Confederacy. And despite being exiled by, from the U.S. by Lincoln, he repented 
all of his support of slavery. He returned to the U.S. under Andrew Johnson in 1866, and he volunteered in the 1st Kentucky Guard, and then became a colonel and then a brigadier general in the U.S. Army, and eventually he was a military governor of Puerto Rico. He fought for America. There's Jefferson Davis, who after fighting for the Confederacy, and it's documented in his memoir, he later encouraged reconciliation. He told Southerners to be loyal to the Union. He was against slavery, showing once again that cancel culture, it destroys the ability to model empathy and change. Should we cancel the Democratic Party because they were the party of slavery at the time? I don't see any calls for that. Some of these people were actual traitors to America. But when the Civil War ended, a number of them renounced their association to slavery, to the Confederacy, and they went on to build great big things that are still standing today. I don't see a problem with statues of these people standing and modeling renewal, growth, and positive change. I just don't see a problem with it. The best way to move forward in America and, and actually make things better is actually moderate change implemented incrementally. However, that's not sexy. It's not a sexy slogan. You never hear see picketers outside rioting saying, what do we want? Moderate change. When do we want it? Incrementally. Like that... <laughs> Nobody wants moderate change incrementally. Everyone wants radical change now. Which is also, by the way, you see uh, candidates, they will lobby a voter base on, we're going to do this, 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 and we're going to do it as soon as I'm elected, and then never happens. Exactly. So these these deep-seated issues, the racism issues, and all these other things, the best way to deal with them is to create moderate change. And over time, as we've discussed before, they sort of get better, and they ameliorate, they work themselves out, and that is the best way to deal with them. I want to say one thing about the uh, liberal view of America versus the leftist view, which we've talked about a lot. I keep, I've gone back to this several several times at this point. Um, I believe that liberals don't see the flaws of George Washington in the same light as they see the Confederacy. And Joe Biden, who I've always said, is represents that side. I think he loves America innately. He is not like a Bernie Sanders tear the system down kind of guy. Uh, he had something to say about this the other day. Yes, he's a little bit slow and doddering. Give the guy a break. He's like 158 years old. Here's what he had to say. Uh, over the weekend, Princeton decided to remove Woodrow Wilson's name from their school and, and buildings due to his racist thinking. President Trump uh, yesterday called that decision incredible stupidity. What do you think about Princeton's decision and the president's comments? And then more broadly, as the nation is in this moment of reckoning when it comes to race, we're seeing the removal of statues, uh, also the removal of names from institutions and schools. Do you think that this is the right approach to come to terms with our nation's history and its leaders? What do you think when you see the removal of some of these statues? Well, I think there are sort of three categories on that. One, any institution that chose a name and wants to now jettison that name, that's a decision for them to make for whatever reason they make it. So. I want to, before we go on with that clip, I love what he says right there. What he's saying there is that these are private institutions. This is a free market government. They could do what they want. If they want to take down their statues, let them. This should not be up to the government. This shouldn't be up to Donald Trump. This shouldn't be up to any representatives in Congress. Or not, if they want to keep them up. Same thing. Exactly. It's up to them. Okay, can continue the clip. I'm assuming the board of trustees at Princeton University made the judgment about the Woodrow Wilson School. I don't know but it was made within the context of a institution that chose that name and now no longer wants to be associated with that name. Secondly, I think there are, there's a distinction between the, um, as uh, 
uh, the former mayor of New Orleans uh, said the difference between um, reminders and remembrances of history and, uh, and recovering from history. And so the idea of comparing whether or not uh, George Washington owned slaves or Thomas Jefferson owned slaves and somebody who was in rebellion committing treason running, uh, trying to take down a union to keep slavery. I think there's a distinction there. Ding, 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 ding. Good job, Joe Biden. Fact check, true. He says exactly what needs to be said there. Uh, you know, again, he's a little bit slow and doddering, but it, it was a perfect way to put it, and uh, I love him for that. I think that's really good. Okay, so there is another new thing on the left, which is this idea that maybe we should cancel 4th of July. Again, I want to stress, this isn't a pervasive issue. There are a few voices talking about this. Uh, yesterday was 4th of July. Today, we're recording this episode is July 5th. We all had a great time. I'm sure we ate lots of good food and everything. Uh, we all love 4th of July. Uh, there is a clip of Pharrell Williams, who I actually really like. He's a, I think he's a really, really smart guy. Um, and I think he's a great speaker. And he, uh, again, is a beneficiary of the American capitalist system. I, I, I don't think we could argue with that. I think he's worth like $200 million. Uh, but he, yeah, but but he uh, was in an interview where he was talking about how he thought the 4th of July should be canceled. And here's what he had to say about it. It's just one of those things where you consider the fact that, listen, we love and appreciate, as Americans, we love and appreciate Independence Day. But when, the, when July 4th, 1776 took place, the only ones that were free from the British monarchy were, were our, our white brothers. Um, our white sisters couldn't vote. They had no independence. Obviously, the Native Americans, where we all get this land from, they were not free. Um, and certainly the African-Americans, uh, women and men, we didn't have our freedom either. Fact check, true, okay? All of that stuff he said is very, very much true. But that's not why we celebrate July uh, absolutely. 4th. Yeah, I don't know why he, he, he's, he's smarter than this, in my opinion. I'm disappointed in that, in that statement. Well, you know, we just gave you the, uh, a left-wing perspective. Rather than me trying to explain the right-wing perspective, uh, Ben Shapiro did a great job of it uh, through the eyes of, of Frederick Douglass. Uh, I thought he explains it really well. Uh, this is the best Ben Shapiro, by the way. With the Ben Shapiro who tries to make excuses for Donald Trump, that's the worst Ben Shapiro. When Ben Shapiro is being a historian, he's utterly brilliant, and this is what he had to say. Here's what Frederick Douglass, who has a lot more... It seems to me that Frederick Douglass had a lot more to say about the problems of racism and bigotry and cruelty of racism than anybody who's alive today. I mean, Frederick Douglass actually lived as a slave, right? Here's, here's Frederick Douglass talking about this. He gave a very famous oration on this, and it's a beautiful, beautiful piece of, of both writing and oratory. Very famous. It's, it's one of the reasons why I've, I've suggested that Frederick Douglass is a second founding father who should be put on the American currency, because he, along with Abraham Lincoln, really understood that the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution of the United States were ideals to aspire to, and America was not living up to those ideals, and they had to be brought into balance, right? They had to be brought into rectification. Because according to a lot of people, the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution were in opposition to one another. In fact, John C. Calhoun, who was one of the leaders of the sort of 
pre-Confederacy Confederacy, right? He died before the actual Civil War, but he was a he was an ardent pro-slavery advocate. He suggested that the Declaration of Independence was bad, that the only thing that mattered was the Constitution, whereas Abraham Lincoln suggested that the Declaration of Independence is what he called the apple of gold and the Constitution the frame of silver. What he meant by that is the ideals of the Declaration of Independence were protected by the Constitution. So if you read the Constitution without the Declaration, then you would miss the high ideals, which are the reasons that the Constitution was brought about in the first place. And again, slaveholders said, okay, well, the Declaration doesn't matter. That was just kind of something we said at the time. It was something that we just put out. There's a piece of propaganda. The only thing that matters is the hard terms of the Constitution. The reason the Declaration of Independence matters, and that's what we're celebrating on July 4th, right? That's not Constitution Day. That's July 4th. The reason we celebrate the Declaration of Independence is because the philosophy of the United States is embedded in the Declaration of Independence. Love it. Perfect. Perfect way of describing it. The philosophy of the uh, uh, of the United States is embedded in the Declaration of Independence. I love that. Here is the common sense narrative to sum up the entire thing. We are a nation of perfect ideals that have been imperfectly executed and downright botched for most of American history. We shouldn't aim to change those original ideals of the founding or tear them down. We should aim to adhere to them perfectly. Frederick Douglass and MLK, they understood this. Once again, it's it's not an either or, it's both and. I, I wrote on my Instagram yesterday that we can be we can lament the ills of the country while still celebrating the independence and freedom that we have and have been given by these documents. It doesn't have to be either or, it can be both and, and you shouldn't shut one off just for the other. Exactly. Uh, so now let's move on to another segment. I think we, we, we did a pretty good job of talking through all that stuff, yeah. Jack. Is, it, is our um, next segment going to be just as cheery? Yeah, yes, yeah, it is. I guess this is sort of a heady deep episode, but we wanted to do a little talk a little bit about COVID, but we didn't want to talk about uh, the actual health impacts and uh, those details because we are going to have a guest next week on the show uh, who's a doctor in New York, and we're going to be talking a lot about healthcare in general. We're going to do a whole episode about healthcare. Uh, so what I wanted to talk about, just because we have talked a lot about the failings of left 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 wing ideology. I I wanted to bring it back to this administration again and talk about what I believe is the single greatest government failure in American history. Yes, I said that. The single greatest one. Okay. Trump's continued attempt to distract and politicize this issue is is just so toxic to me. Uh, It's unforgivable on every single level. And the crazy thing here is that Trump actually had the opportunity to be an American hero here. He really did. For as divisive as he is, for as much as people dislike Donald Trump and as you know, you go through his entire term and all of the stuff he's done that the left has hated, that has been antithetical to American values, et cetera, um, he could have used this moment to give a Kennedy-like speech about how we were all going to come together. The, the, the moon speech. You know what? Play, uh, show me what that, what that sounds like, Jay. We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. He could have done that. Trump could have gotten up there and said, this is a moment we are going to come together. We are going to lead the world. We are going to fight this disease. We are going to figure it out, the testing, the tracing, whatever it is, we're gonna come together. And if you look around the world, this the American response has been the most pitiful response 
in American history in terms of the governmental response. It's been absolutely disgraceful, and it should be embarrassing to you. So uh, so yesterday, while I was proud to be an American, I was... I, I had very mixed emotions yesterday because I am I am so disgusted with the way this this administration has failed on this such an important issue. Uh, if Trump had done that, if he had taken the high road here and not been divisive for a second and not tried to use all of the uh, all these things as a political weapon, he could have had somebody like Van Jones on CNN saying something like this. He became president of the United States in that moment, period. Okay, yeah, uh, you know you know what? It could have been a moment for him. And I'll tell you what, it's such a, it's political malpractice on his part because it would have sealed up his election, absolutely. Oh, without a doubt, without a doubt. He would have, he would have gotten the people from the center that have run away from him. He, that was the moment where he could have captured their attention. Well, not just that. If you look at his poll numbers right now, he's losing old people. Now, why do you think that is? Why do you think he's losing Trump-supporting old people in middle America? Well, because they're dying of this. Imagine if you have a relative, your, your, your father just died of COVID, and the president is getting on TV and talking about the culture war and Confederate monuments being torn down and Mount Rushmore and completely ignoring it. I'd be pretty freaking ticked off about that. Now, again, John Oliver, who's a comedian, said something really funny, and I thought, that's actually a brilliant, brilliant strategy. Play what he said. And on top of that, Pence also conspicuously omitted wearing a mask from advice that he gave for slowing the spread of the virus. And I will just never understand why or even how Republicans have made not spreading disease into a culture war issue. Honestly, this was a missed opportunity for them. You could have printed Make America Great Again on a billion red masks and dropped them out of helicopters. People would have worn them. You're not even capitalizing on a national disaster correctly, you f***ing idiots. <laughs> I love that. And he's exactly right. Trump could have politicized. If he still wanted to be divisive, he could have politicized it in the other way. He could have said, you know how the left is always calling the right anti-science, Jay? Yeah, I do. I'm and aware of that. The, 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 the right fights back on that saying the left is actually anti-science. You know, they don't believe a baby is a baby in the womb or they, they believe a woman could just be a man. You know, they're the ones that are anti-science. Trump could have used this to his advantage and said, don't be a dumb leftist. They're the ones who are anti-science. Put the mask on. I'm telling you, I wear the mask. Get one of these Make America Great Again masks. You know, wear it all the time. They say now that the mask cut down transmission 95%. But he politicized it from the beginning, and it is unforgivable. It is unforgivable, and I'm angry about it. I really am, because it could have been a lot better for us. And, you know, there's a guy named John Favreau who is on the Pod Save America podcast, which again, you should listen to even though they are competitors of ours. He put out a tweet that said, all you need to know about the 2020 campaign is that in the midst of a catastrophic pandemic, double digit unemployment, and a historic protest against racism, Donald Trump went to Mount Rushmore and gave a speech about how the greatest threat facing America is, wait for it, cancel culture and the removal of Confederate monuments. That sums up what is going on right now? Who the hell cares? People are dying. More people than died in 9-11. And, you know, I, that's a perfect, it's one more thing I want to bring up here is George Bush 
his poll numbers after 9-11 went to about 90%. Could you imagine a president having 90% approval? I mean, do you remember that time period? Everyone rallied around him because he was talking directly to the issue at hand and he was accepting the challenge and he was rallying America together, not his party. He rallied America together and that's the difference here. It's a phenomenon called the rally around the flag phenomenon. We all felt attacked as Americans. Whatever you thought about George Bush, he was good at sort of getting people on the same page. We are going to fight this. We are going to get through this. Donald Trump never did anything even close to that. He used the whole thing to divide the country further. Again, absolutely uh, unforgivable. Do you have anything else to say on this before I close out with one more thing? When he was giving daily press conferences, I was... Uh, pretty terrified watching them because of some of the information that would that would come out. But at least I felt like there was attention being paid and there was a daily briefing and we were kept being kept up to speed. Now there's local briefings. And by the way, they're screwing up there in, the, in some of the local issues. I mean, this is an aside. Uh, our own mayor, Eric Garcetti, who on one day stated, uh, we follow the daddy, data closely. There's no evidence that the protest led to much spread, though it's something that Dr. Ferrer has hypothesized. And then he changed his tune days later and stated, oh, we do believe there's a connection. We don't believe that everyone has been doing this safely and wherever you can, please stay home. And, and Dr. Ferrer, who's the public health director of LA County, said previously, she states, we've been really honest and said from the beginning that for any people that are in crowded situations for long periods of time, more than 15 minutes when you're in close contact with people less than six feet apart and people aren't wearing a cloth face covering if you have a heightened risk of either transmitting the virus if you're asymptomatic or getting the virus. Meanwhile, we see bans all across the country on large gatherings, bans on singing and church services, but no bans on protesting. And I'm not talking about muffling the movement, but I'm talking about keeping the people of the country safe. So I think on a local level, they're still talking about this, but they're still bumbling it. And on a national level, we're not speaking about this at all. And my point in saying that I was, you know, terrified watching, watching him during the press conferences was at least there were press conferences. Now the fact that it's being ignored uh, nationally, it's even scarier to me. Well, and I also think a lot of the corporations and, uh, you know, people that, that we pay on a day-to-day -day basis, utility companies and all these companies that were willing to defer payments because of this crisis are taking their cues from the president and, and saying, okay, well, this is done now. We're done. We're, we're, we're on our way back. And now everyone's getting bills. So it went from we're all in this together to F you pay me pretty quickly. Yeah, and by the way, not only uh, are they now calling in that debt, they're also part of that queue was go outside and enjoy and, and enjoy the, the outdoors, enjoy your restaurants, go back to normal life. Wasn't time for that yet. Right. No, it wasn't. And, and I talked about this last night with the people I was hanging out with on July 4th. I think a lot of the, uh, like, for instance, our governor in California, Governor Newsom, I think he he was pressured to open up quickly. I think the, the, the state needs tax dollars. I think he was also taking a little bit of cues from Trump, saying, okay, we need to get this thing moving. I think it was a mistake to open up. And now we see the numbers rising in, in California. I'm not saying it's it all falls on the federal government. Yes, there, there, there were problems in the way each state handled it. I'm saying that the divisiveness and the rhetoric surrounding simple things like masks could have been so easily avoided. How about rhetoric at all? How about talking about it? How about having a national conversation? How about having an interview about it? There are plenty of ways in which this information could have been disseminated and sent out into the country better. The last thing I want to touch on, I had said earlier in this podcast that I wanted to talk a little bit about statistics, okay? Just because I, I think it's very important to put things in context and really get the numbers. I'm a big statistics guy. Do you know that about me, Jay? I did. I, 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 lo I love a good stat, except 
when you can move the denominator around, then I'm a little wary of them. Yeah, so exactly. exactly. Yeah. Now, this isn't really necessarily about COVID. This is actually more about the Mount Rushmore speech that the president gave. I, I, I really, I watched that speech and I was floored by it. And not much floors me anymore in the Trump era because I don't give him credit for for much. I, you know, I don't even think he wrote that speech. It was probably written by Stephen Miller or one of his advisors, and he just read it. In fact, when teleprompter Trump is reading something that you can almost tell that he's never rehearsed it before, like he has this thing where he's like reading it for the first time. Uh, I honestly, I'm not even convinced the guy is fully literate. Literate meaning not just the ability to read, but the ability to comprehend. I don't think he he's he's there necessarily all the time. But uh, in his speech, the entire speech was about radical leftism and the dangers of radical leftism, the dangers of all these people that want to tear this system down. Um, and, and again, nothing about COVID, which I thought was was just really crazy. I want to talk statistically for a second. There was an article by Daily Wire, no left wingers, let's say, talking about how there are a confirmed 1500 to two or I'm sorry an estimated 1500 to 2000 Antifa members operating in the United States most of them for whatever reason operate in the in the northwest like the uh, Seattle and Portland area it must be something about the bad weather up there I don't know it drives people oh, crazy I think it's beautiful personally it is beautiful up there but uh for whatever reason most of Antifa comes from that area of the of the country we're a country of 350 million people okay there's 1500 to 2000 Antifa members let's be Generous. Let's be generous and say that there's another two to three thousand radical left-wing monument dwellers who are who are taking carrying down monuments and desecrating them. In fact, the New York Times did a piece the other day where they showed three different rallies going on in three separate cities and found the same four guys at, at those rallies. Okay, like this is not a hugely pervasive problem on the left. There aren't just swaths of people, vast swaths of the, of the left that are doing this. For instance, you work in, in entertainment, Jay. Do you have any friend that was at one of these rallies tearing down a statue? Uh, not tearing, I mean, at protests, yes, of right. course. Protests, but... yes, that's different. Absolutely not. So statistically, let's let's give them the benefit of the doubt and say in America, there's probably between five and six thousand radical left wing groups, Antifa and other anarchistic groups that are doing that are, are participating in these things. Again, in a country of 350 million people on your average day, you're probably not going to run into an Antifa member. OK, now let's talk about right wing extremism for a second. The Southern Poverty Law Center estimates that there is, actually, they have it exactly. They say there is 196 active, far-right, neo-Nazi, white supremacist groups operating in the country. 196, almost 200. And in those 200 groups, there are close to 10,000 members, active members of these groups, people who are neo-Nazis, people who commit hate crimes, all right? If Barack Obama had gotten had come to Mount Rushmore on July 4th and given a speech about how the greatest threat to American to Americanism to the greatest threat to America is radical right-wing extremism and neo-Nazis and by the way all of those groups vote Republican all of those groups have endorsed Trump 
All, I mean, literally all of them, not one of them are, are Democrats, okay? What Donald Trump did is incredibly dangerous. It's out of context. I know a ton of liberals, not a single one didn't put up a flag yesterday, show their pride for America. This anti-American far left ideology is a very small group, smaller, in fact, than the far right ideology that are committing hate crimes and that are operating all over the country. But again, I say, I, I, you know, I don't generally generalize the entire right as that. I think you have 350 million people in this country and 10,000 of them are neo-Nazis with swastikas on their arms and 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 adhere to that ideology. But again, I wouldn't say that's pervasive, but it would it would be akin for again for if Barack Obama gave a speech about how that was the biggest problem in America, that would be an identical situation to what Donald Trump did. It's just appalling. It is an appalling thing to do. My only pushback is that a small group of people, take 9-11 for example, can do a lot of damage. It's not that these groups aren't dangerous. And I think that a lot of times you find that these groups that are so dangerous are small and they can do a lot of, dam a a lot of damage. My other comment is, again, as we've said here so many times, as far as the news media is concerned, do a better job of reporting. These groups are getting the most oxygen because it is bringing the most ratings and because they need to keep their advertisers. Do better. It's not all about these groups. They're a subset. And we should be talking about the problems that affect more of these Americans rather than just the subsets. There is a guy named Christian Picciolini, P-I-C-C-I-O-L-I-N-I. Uh, he runs a group called Erasing Hate. He was a former white supremacist. You might have seen him on CNN. He gives a lot of interviews. He was actually very, very influential in the movement in the early and mid 90s of really growing the movement. He they would he talks about how they would go around from state to state in rural areas looking for runaways and wayward youth and try to indoctrinate them into these values that the Jews control everything and they're evil and and you know you're part of the master race and all of this Nazi ideology that that we all know about. He ended up going to jail where he became reformed and now became an activist which, by the way, I think is a beautiful thing about America that you can change. We don't cancel him. He's He wrote this book called uh, White American Youth that is an incredible book that I cannot recommend enough. I actually listened to the audiobook. He's a brilliant guy. He has... He basically, he does this, he, he's in this organization called Erasing Hate, where they basically go around the country, they infiltrate into these Nazi groups, these neo-Nazi groups, these white supremacist groups, and they attempt to reform them. They actually pay for all of them to get their tattoo, their Nazi tattoos removed. They unindoctrinate them. That's great. It is a great thing. But one thing that I thought was really interesting in the book, and I just want to put this out there for people to think about, he talked about how in the mid-90s, they sort of had a come-to-Jesus moment, if you will, where they realized that the image that they were projecting You've all seen skinhead. They were called skinheads at the time. The shaved head, the boots, the Nazi tattoos all over their face and their arms. That this was not going to resonate enough with uh, with your average American racist to actually grow the movement so that they could have political influence. They came up with a tagline from boots to suits. 
And the idea was that if we want to grow this movement and actually have some sway in society, we can't be thuggish looking like this. We can't look, your average American racist is not going to get Nazi tattoos and shave their head. What we need to do is we need to get into society. We need to go to school. We need to finish high school. We need to go to college. We need to become members of the military, members of the police force, members of the government, run as Republican governors. Christian Picciolini has been giving interviews lately where he says, and you know, I don't have this confirmed, but he says he believes that there are Republican Congress people in small towns across America that were part of this movement that actually do exist in our government. Now, I can't say if the same hasn't happened with Antifa members on the left, but the point is this is something that we do have to be aware of, that that, you know, this is this is a perfect time to bring up the both sidesism. There is extremes on both sides, and we have seen this, and it needs to be tamped down. The problem is when you take the extreme and you make it into you try to make it appear that the entire movement on the left is all made up of that extreme. You can't put you can't put such a large group into a box. It's 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 identity politics of a different sort. I mean, it's the same problem completely. So, uh, you know, uh, in summation, for those who haven't heard about Christian Picciolini, look him up, read his book, White American Youth. It is a, a an eye opening, incredible book, and I really can't recommend it enough. So. We talked a lot today, Jay, and we didn't get to like a lot of the stuff we were supposed uh, to get to. It's becoming a trend. It is. Well, this was an important. We we had to talk about all this stuff. So we didn't. We're not having a guest this week because it doesn't fit into what we were talking about. Any of the topical things we talked about here on the show. We are going to have another episode next week where we're going to talk about more COVID related stuff. We're going to talk about healthcare. We're going to have a special guest by somebody very close to us who has a lot of thoughts about the healthcare issues and uh, healthcare in this country. It's something we haven't talked about at all. And we're going to have a great interview with an actual doctor from New York. So uh, I think we're on the right track here. And uh, Jay, anything else to say? I do. And here it is. Go to downthemiddlepod.com to find out more info and contact us. If you send us questions, we'll answer them on air and we'll even talk about your hate mail. Follow us on social media at Down the Middle Podcast on Instagram, at Down the Middle PC on Twitter, and at Down the Middle Pod on Facebook. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. You can find me at, at Justin Siegel, S I E G E L, on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, Riz, tell them about your new Instagram, uh, Instagramming. Dudes, okay, this is really exciting. I finally Instagrammed it up, right? Mazel okay, tov. so Mazel tov. I, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, Wait, you want to explain what Mazel Tov is to our non-Jewish listeners? Uh, it means congrats, a congratulatory <laughs> uh, a, a statement. Yeah. Uh, if you live in a city, you've probably heard it. Mazel, mazel, um, all good things. Exactly. So my handle is Rob underscore Lifer, L-E-I-F-E-R, R-O-B underscore L-E-I-F-E-R. I have just started posting. You can also, as I've mentioned before, find me on Facebook, Rob Lifer. Uh, I am on Twitter at Rob Lifer. And I, I think I've covered all my bases now. You really, you've done great, except for that new right-wing uh, uh, social media network, which yeah. I expect you to sign up for next week. <laughs> I think they don't allow, what's it called? Parlor. Parlor, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, I'm not on Parlor yet. Um, I don't think they allow people like me on Parlor. 
All right. Well, but, I might be able to get you in. I'll let you know. Yeah. Well, what I'll, I'm going to have to get in and infiltrate and then com- spend all the rest of my time complaining about how they're biased against me and that I'm the underdog and I'm the one who's being exploited. That'd be a fun exercise. Okay. Let's do it. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, and I we, we had fun. We Well, actually, we didn't have that much fun. This was pretty heavy was stuff. Heavy. <laughs> right. But we did have some good clips for you. And we had that comedy clip from John Oliver. That at least like that was funny a little bit yeah it was funny all right uh signing off we'll have more for you next week thank you for listening all right everybody take care